I've got a question for you kids. Any kids who are brave enough to speak up? Uh, if I gave you a mission, what would that be? What, what is a mission? If I gave you a mission, what would, what would you be, what would it that be? What, it, what is a mission? Any takers? Okay, so a few weeks ago I sent some of the kids to get ice. So there was a mission to go get ice. That's right. Exactly. So a mission is when you're kind of given a job to do, a special assignment, like being a secret agent who needs to break into the vault, or, or maybe being a soldier who needs to, to destroy the enemy base, or maybe an explorer who needs to cut a new track over the mountains. Or perhaps a doctor who needs to find a cure for a strange new disease. Each of these things is a mission that somebody has a job to do. So when somebody has a mission, they have a clear goal that they're aiming for. And they need to bring their skills and their uh, strength and their resources to bear in order to pursue the mission. But kids, did you know that God gave us a special assignment? Did you know that God gave us a mission? And because of that, that means we should bring our skills, our strength, and our resources to pursue the end result that God gave us. I'm going to talk a lot about that mission. But I wonder if we could just step back for a minute and, uh, and imagine what somebody would say if you went out on the street right now and you bumped into somebody that you didn't know and you asked them, what is the mission of the church, the Christian church? I wonder what answer they would give. Now, I could imagine um, the more negative answer might be something like to deceive people and take their money. That's, and obviously, that's not a good reputation to have. So, but that's not the mission. But what are some of the other things they might say? Well, they might say, uh, the, mission, the Christian church, its job is to make good people. Or maybe they might say, uh, the Christian church's job is to help the poor. Or something along those lines. To be charitable. Now, it is a good thing to help the poor, and it is a good thing to be a good person or to become godly, but neither of these things, strictly speaking, is the mission of the church. And thankfully, Jesus has been very clear about what the mission of the church is and what the church should be doing, what its job is. And throughout history, there have been times where the mission has been uh, temporarily sidelined or, or forgotten. Yet, if we come back to the Word of God, Jesus has told us what our job is. And so, for us, we just need to stick with that job until it is finished. That's our mission. We've got a goal. Let's stick to it. Jesus has given it to us. And sometimes what we call it, when you give somebody a mission, you say that they have been commissioned to do that job. So, if I, if I gave somebody a job, like go and get ice, I would say that you have been commissioned to go get the ice. And in the Bible, we have some passages that we traditionally call the Great Commission. And you might know this from Matthew chapter 28, which is our kind of key text for this morning. But did you know that there is actually at least four Great Commissions? Well, there's at least three, and we can talk about uh, Mark chapter 16 after. But there's at least three, maybe four, Great Commissions in the Bible. 
We, we tend to focus on Matthew 28 because it's the most kind of easy to read and break down one. And so we're going to focus on what this great commission is for us here in sale in 2024. We're making our way through our core values, as, as uh, Adam mentioned before. These are values that are critical to our identity as a church. And these should be, in theory, core values for all Christians everywhere. But we're not thinking about them so much, or other churches. We're more thinking about, you know, who, who are we? What are we doing here in this church, in this year, that's before us? What is Flooding Creek Community Church like in this place, in the 20s? What should we hold dear and never give up? Well, we've been talking about the fact that we're Christ-focused, that we are based on God's Word, that we are prayerful, and this week we're talking about the fact that we are missional, we are on mission to seek. Well, I'm going to come to that in a moment. So what does it mean to be missional? We're not just here to be good people and to help the poor. So what are we here for? We're going to look at what Jesus commissioned us to do. To, to prepare us, let's look at what Jesus was doing when he was on mission. Jesus' mission is what we need to look at first before we come to our mission. You might remember, but if you don't, if you don't know, that's okay. I will tell you now. Jesus came as the Son of God and Son of Man into the world. He was the long-promised Messiah who was born in Israel about the year 3 BC. And this fellow, Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name, Christ is a title, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, he was 100% God and 100% man. So he was God become human. Not like the Greek gods and the Roman gods in their mythologies who would who would take on the form of a human and look like a human or look like a horse or any other number of other things. They wouldn't just take on the form. God, in Jesus Christ, became man. 100% man, 100% God. And he was known around the world today as a religious figure in Christianity. But he's also known as a prophet and a teacher and a healer. And he lived a good life and he suffered an unjust trial and was executed by the civil and religious leaders of his time. It's not uncommon for us to wonder about our identity and our purpose in the world. You know, what am I here for? What's my purpose? Well, Jesus didn't particularly wonder about that. He had a very clear identity about what his purpose and job was. He was on a divine mission. He knew what he had to do. And he stuck to that objective, come hell or high water. And I've got a little story to, to tell you to illustrate what Jesus was doing on his mission. There's this story about a little fellow named Zacchaeus, and I mean little in a literal sense. He was short. And he was living in a town called Jericho, and Jesus was passing through that town, and Jesus was coming along, and Zacchaeus wanted to see this bloke named Jesus. But Zacchaeus was very short. And so in order to see over the gathering crowd, he had to climb up a tree in a rather undignified way. But he was probably used to being uh, perceived poorly by others and looked down on by others, literally and figuratively. Uh, and so he, because he was a tax collector, so there was a rock, an, an occupying Roman army 
in Israel at that time, and he was a representative, he was an agent for the occupying forces. He collected tax on behalf of the Romans, but not just the required amount, he would take more. Tax collectors were known for being able to take as much money as they wanted, to extort people, a bit like a, a, a state-sanctioned mafia, you know. He would skim off the top and take more money than he needed to, keeping the excess for himself. And so he would have had a reputation as being slimy, deceptive, and not just a reputation, like this, he, he did these things. He was slimy, deceptive, thieving, greedy, rebellious man. And did I mention that he was short, so he didn't have a lot going for him. <laughs> so he's climbed this tree to see Jesus, and Jesus comes over to him while he's sitting in the tree, and he says, I'm coming to have lunch at your place today. Of all the people that he could go and hang out with, Jesus said, I want to come to you, I want to come to your house, I want to hang out with you. So Jesus came into Zacchaeus' house. He met with Jesus. Jesus and Zacchaeus met together. And after having met the Son of God, the Son of Man in human flesh, he repented of his sin. He repented of his greed. He repented of his fraud. And his repentance would be lived out. He said, I will, I will give half my goods to the poor. And if I have defrauded anybody, I will pay it back Four times. Jesus came and met Zach that day and salvation came to that house. Salvation came to that house because this man was freed from him sin when he came into contact with the living God. He was rescued from the bondage. He was saved. He was figuratively lost and wandering in his sin and Jesus came and rescued him. And that was the mission that Jesus was on. Jesus says of himself, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's the mission that Jesus was on, to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to save lost sinners like Zach. Jesus came to seek and save lost sinners like you and I. And the first step to understanding that we need that salvation that comes from Jesus is recognizing that each and every one of us is a sinner. Sometimes we hear the word sinner and we think, that's those people over there doing the stuff that I don't like. But each and every one of us is a sinner. All of us have done wrong. All of us have made mistakes. None of us are perfect. We know this is the human condition. None of us are perfect. And so even if we're technically upstanding citizens in the eyes of others, God can see your hearts. God can see your disgusting thoughts that we've all had. We are all sinners and we are all lost. But Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to seek and save lost sinners like you and lost sinners like me. He came to the weak and lost and rebellious, to the greedy, to the fraudsters, to the cheaters, the thieves, the liars, to those who cut corners, to children who don't obey their parents, to murderers, to adulterers, to abortionists, to coveters, to porn addicted, to the drunks, the gossips, the rapists, to defamers, to slavers, to the deceived, and to the people who do not worship the Lord God like they should. 
he comes to the likes of you and me. We are lost under the weight of our sin, wandering from the fold of God. We're wandering in darkness, groping about for some answer, for some cure to our terminal condition. And Jesus came to seek and save those people, to come and seek and save us. He did it because God the Father sent him on that mission to seek and save the lost. And so he pursued that mission and he hit all his objectives. He came and he lived the perfectly obedient life that we couldn't live. He said all the things that the Father told him to say and he never deviated from the plan. He went and proclaimed the good news to people who are lost in darkness. He came and fulfilled all the prophecies about the Messiah from the Old Testament. He came and fulfilled, um, oh, sorry, he came and performed signs and miracles. And he came and suffered under an unfair trial and was subsequently crucified. He was executed and he was buried. But as part of his mission, that was part of his mission to die and be buried and it was also part of his mission to rise from the grave that was it was part of the plan to go and to be crucified to die so that he could defeat death how is he going to save us he's going to save us from what we deserve which is death he's going to save us by defeating death himself he made a sacrifice for sins with his life and he defeated death and then on top of that, as part of his mission, he sends the Holy Spirit to his people so that they can be saved and so that they can continue the mission. Jesus was on mission from the Father to seek and save the lost. But then that mission continues as Jesus commissions us. What does Jesus' mission have to do with our mission? Our mission is the continuation of Jesus' mission. It's not like Jesus came to do one thing and then he sends the church to do something different. No, he comes to commission us to do the very mission that he is carrying out in the world. We're not the son of God in the flesh, so what our, the shape of our mission is going to look slightly different to the way that Jesus' mission unfolded. And he's already kind of done all the hard yards, so to speak. But we are still on the same mission. The critical objectives are complete, his life, his death, his resurrection, but the mission is ongoing. There are still lost people in the world. There are still people who need to be sought and saved by Jesus. The seeking and the saving isn't complete yet. And so Jesus says to his disciples after he was resurrected from the dead, in John it tells us, he says, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. I don't know if you've let that sink in. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. He says that to his disciples and through those disciples to the whole church. We are sent in the same way that Jesus was sent into the world to seek and save the lost. And all of this falls under Jesus' authority because he has taken over. He's taken over. You might remember that our first king, Adam, Adam and Eve, remember them in the Garden of Eden? Adam 
was our representative head, our federal head, as some people say. He was our king over the whole human race. And he bowed the knee to Satan. And so Satan usurped authority over all the earth because of Adam's failure. But Jesus, the second Adam, the second king over all the earth, has taken up his proper place as king of kings and lord of lords, and he's dethroned Satan. He's kicked Satan to the curb. Jesus says, after he resurrected from the dead, he says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is the boss. Kids, you, you know that your mum and dad are your boss, right? Uh, us employees, we know that we have a boss over us, a manager and, and, and a hire if you have a kind of a chain. We have our boss as employees. Us as a nation, we have our bosses that, that, uh, that work on our behalf in theory in Canberra. But you know who is the boss over all the other little bosses, little B bosses? Jesus is the boss. Jesus is the mighty, mighty king. Jesus is the mighty, mighty king. God made him the boss of everything, as that great exegeter Columbia Cannon said. So not only is Jesus the boss by virtue of his rank, being God himself, he is boss by virtue of the fact that he earned it by defeating Satan, by defeating sin and death. And now as the big boss, he sends us out on his mission to seek and save the lost. So how do we do it? What does it look like when we're on mission? Well, we go and make disciples everywhere. We go and we make disciples everywhere. So in Matthew 28, which we just had up before... Jesus says, I've got all authority, he has all power, and Jesus gives specific instructions about what to do next. How are his people to represent him? Well, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So go, there is an action that needs to be done to go and make disciples. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what it looks like to make a disciple in a moment. But this is part of the mission, right? To go and make disciples of all nations. Or another way to say it, every nation, any nation, each nation, all nations, all peoples. To put it another way is to say God's people are to seek and save the lost everywhere, in every corner of the world. And this has been God's plan all along. We sinned and rebelled against God in Eden. Remember, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. They were kicked out. So we have figuratively, sorry, we have been as a, as a people, the human race, been exiled to God, from God, ever since Adam and Eve sinned and were kicked out of the garden. But God had a plan to reunite us back together so that God and mankind can be united. He started with one man, Abraham and then built him into a nation called Israel. And then God used this nation as the platform to reunite the world back to God. And Isaiah prophesied about this in Isaiah chapter 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. 
This is a picture of the reuniting of God and humanity, that all the nations would flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. God is bringing all the exiled nations of the world back to himself. And he has done it and is doing it through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So all the nations, the lost people from all over the world will come to the Lord and join him once more and they will worship him. And that is a prophecy from old, from before Jesus ever walked the earth. And then after Jesus walked the earth, we got another picture, a similar picture in Revelation, where John says, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sins of the world. This great multitude was clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is where we are heading with our mission, with Jesus' mission that he has given us. That's the goal. That will be the result of us being on mission here today. Salvation for the multitudes, redemption for the nations. And it started with a motley crew of 12 blokes in Palestine. It started in Jerusalem. And they were witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ there. And then they were witnesses in Judea. And then they were witnesses in Samaria. And they made more disciples. And those disciples were witnesses in the next place. Assyria, Asia Minor, Greece, Rome. Spain, India. From that point, salvation has been spreading across the world as more and more people are sought and saved with the gospel. And as of today, 2,000 years later, the gospel has geographically pretty much reached every corner of the globe, but it has not reached the corner of every heart. While geographically you can pretty much find churches in every uh, country, nation around the world, and although there might be a bit of a trip involved, but, but the gospel has gone geographically almost everywhere, but there is not the gospel in every heart. Not every person has heard it. And so even if there was a church on every street corner today, the mission keeps going until every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Christ is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so for us, that means we make disciples here. In order to reach that big picture of the multitude streaming into Zion, amassed around the throne of God, singing his praises, we need to make disciples in Sale at the Sale Memorial Hall on the 3rd of March, 2024. We make disciples in our homes on the 4th of March, 2024. We make disciples in their community in the fifth, on the 5th of March. We make disciples by reading the Bible with Joel. We make disciples by inviting Angus to church. We make disciples by teaching Sophie the Bible. We make disciples by worshipping the Lord together here on Sundays. We are continuing this mission week in, week out, day by day. 
because of where we're going. How do we do that? Well, one of the ways that we do it is we baptize disciples. Jesus tells us the key elements of how we go into the world and disciple the nations. We baptize those disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We go into all the world making disciples. We go across sail. We go into our homes making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is part of the initiation, the the citizenship ceremony of coming into Christ's kingdom. This is what it looks like to make disciples. And so, for us as a church, we can look back over the last few years and we can see disciples being made. I had to tally up the numbers the other day and it was a great joy to be able to, to do this. The numbers themselves are not important, but I want just to, the numbers represent something. So in 2021, we had one baptism um, in our church family. In 2022, we had six baptisms in our church family. In 2023, we had five baptisms in our church family, including somebody who had come to faith as an adult. In 2024, we had two baptisms already, including somebody who didn't grow up in church. And so even though it might look very ordinary here as we come week to week, and as we, as we struggle to get out of bed on a Sunday morning, and as we uh, deal with the, the noise and, the, and what's going on with our kids around us, and as we sing songs that we've sung a hundred times before, and we take communion that we've taken a hundred times before, as we hear Bible verses read that we've read a hundred times before, Christ is still fulfilling his mission here among us and we are still making disciples. Week by week, day by day, we are making disciples. And if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, well, come get baptised because this is one of the first steps in becoming a disciple of Jesus, to be baptised in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. But one of the other key elements of being a disciple is being taught. We teach disciples. We teach disciples what? We teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. I'm I'm paraphrasing what Jesus said. Teaching them all, these disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So, that's why we're constantly in God's word. That's why we preach the word. That's why we teach the word. That's why we read the word. That's why we sing the word. Because we need to hear what Jesus has commanded us. We need to hear God's word for us. We need to learn to obey our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But Jesus didn't just send us off by ourselves. He didn't just say, okay, here's your mission. See you later. I'm off to heaven to put my feet up. It talks about putting his feet up on a footstool. So maybe, uh, but Jesus didn't go to just kind of rest in the sense of taking his hands off. No, Jesus is still with us. And that's how he finishes this commission in, in Matthew 28. He didn't just send us off and leave us alone. No, he says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So we are on mission with Jesus. Jesus is with us. We are on mission with Jesus. 
who says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So even today, now, here, gathered as God's people, Jesus is with us. And he is continuing his mission. We're not off kind of doing our own thing, left to um, our own devices. No, he is with us always to the end of the age. He is overseeing and directing us. And not only is he with us, is his presence with us, spiritually speaking, the Holy Spirit is with us because we are powered by the Holy Spirit to complete the mission that he has given us. We're powered by the Spirit. And and it says in the Great Commission passage in Luke, Behold, I'm sending you the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so this is, this is Jesus before he returns to heaven. And he says to the disciples, basically, wait here until you get the Holy Spirit. And, and that happened at Pentecost, if you remember. But Jesus, Jesus tells them, I'm sending you, the, sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay here until you're clothed with power from on high. That's how he describes the Spirit, power from on high. And so in order to be able to continue the mission, in order to be able to do what we're called to do, We need power from on high, God's power. And that's how we are able to complete the mission. The mission is so big. The mission is so expansive to make disciples of all nations, to disciple the nations. We need just more than a bit of human get up and go. We need God's divine power to overcome all the barriers along the way. To be able to disciple them all, to... to, to, to do this global mission. And it's not just global in the sense of geography, we're talking also through time. We we know the fact that churches have been planted in places where the the gospel is not preached anymore, in in many places um, around the, um, like, the Middle East, where those were places where where once where churches stood and that were, you know, letters were written to them in the Bible across uh, Turkey where churches no longer stand. So it's not a matter of just saying, well, we planted a church and the gospel was proclaimed there once. Well, actually, this needs to happen through time. And that's what, where, we're, where we're in. We're through time. We're 2,000 years in, but God's mission still continues on. And we still need God's power to be able to do this massive mission. But the fact that God gives his power for it gives us great comfort. Because we might just sit back in despair when we look around at the world and we look at the state of things and we look at the places where the gospel had made headway and now it seems to have been uh, defeated. But we don't need to despair because Jesus is with us and he gives us power from on high in order to be able to pursue his mission. Do you think, this is just a, a, a question to get you thinking, do you think that God is not going to finish the mission? Do you think that God is going to give up on his plans? No. He is going to finish his mission. He is the one who's going to complete it. And the, and the means by which he has chosen to complete his mission. So he's, he's, he's got the end in hand. He, he gave us the picture, right, of the, the, the nations gathered around the throne. That's coming. That is happening. That's set. But the means by which we're going to get there is the mission that he's given us. And so he's going to power us for that mission. 
He's going to enable us for that mission. He's going to send us out with everything that we need for that mission. As he does to the disciples in John chapter 20. This is again, after he was resurrected from the dead, before he went to the right hand of the Father. He said, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So there's this, we know the Holy Spirit kind of comes with power on at Pentecost, but here there's this kind of, I don't know exactly how it works. It seems like a kind of symbolic thing where Jesus is saying, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm going to clothe you with power from on high, if we're to use the Luke language. So Jesus sends his people out on mission with his power to complete it. Because we can't do it on our own. We can't do it in our own strength. In order for him to complete his mission of seeking and saving the lost, he sends us out with the Holy Spirit. But there's one more thing that I wanted to talk about with an aspect of this great commission, or great commissions. We've already kind of touched on it, but we, it's worth talking about a little bit more because this is specifically mentioned in two of those great commissions. The proclaiming of the forgiveness of sins. Because we, on Christ's mission, proclaim the forgiveness of sins. This is part of our content of disciple-making. Bringing forgiveness of sins to the people who are lost. In the Luke Commission, we're reminded, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. What's being proclaimed? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. This is, this is part of our message that we are taking out on our mission. The forgiveness of sins. Because as we touched on earlier, each of us is lost outside Christ. Each of us needs to be sought and saved. And how are we saved? Well, part of the heart of that method that God has chosen to save his people is through forgiving their sins. Because our sins put us in opposition to God. They put us in rebellion to God. And so those sins need to be dealt with. They need to be taken away in order for us to be made right with God. So for God to bring in his great multitude, for God to bring in his people, he needs to take away their sins. And so he sends his people out to proclaim. He says in, in John, in that commission, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And so we as God's people are going out to the world with the news, the good news that your sins are forgiven. But we also have to take out the news that if you stand in rebellion against God, your sins are not forgiven. If you continue stubbornly against God, then you do not receive forgiveness. There is one way to the Lord God. There is one way to, to paradise there is one way to life everlasting, and it is through Jesus and his forgiveness. We need to put in faith and trust in him. And the reason that we can go out with this message is that Jesus has paid for those sins. He paid for it with his own life. There was guilt associated with our sins, and he died in our place for our sins. Jesus paid for them, and because he paid for them, 
we can go out with the great news that anybody who hears this good news, repents and puts their faith in Jesus, can receive eternal life. They can be found. They can be saved. I don't know about you, but that's a good mission to be on. To be on mission. Imagine if you were given a job, you know, to say, look, there's a really wealthy businessman in town. He's got millions and millions of dollars. And it was your job to go out into the community and to say to everybody on the street, look, you can have a million dollars. There's a guy who's giving away a million dollars to anybody who comes and asks him for a million dollars. I mean, that's a good job, to, to be the guy who gets, or the, or the lady who gets to go out and tell everybody that anybody who wants it can come and get it. But that's our job. We get to go out into the world and tell everybody that Christ forgives your sin would only come to him and receive that forgiveness go and proclaim this good news go and proclaim this life something that's worth much more than a million dollars something that is worth that is invaluable because your life will be eternal it's incalculable you can go out and you can seek and save the lost with this good news the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins why would we want to shirk that that duty why would we want to hold that news back from anybody this is good news. It needs to go to all the nations. So let's just summarize what we've covered. Let's go back and remind ourselves. Jesus was on mission from God, the Father, and he completed uh, several key objectives, you might say, with his life, death, burial, resurrection. And he came to seek and save the lost. And now he commissions us on that same mission of seeking and saving the lost by taking what he's already done and taking it to the world showing them that he has brought their salvation we are on mission under jesus authority he's the big boss to go out and to make disciples of all nations how do we make disciples well we baptize them and we teach them to obey everything that jesus has commanded us we teach them god's word Jesus and the Holy Spirit are at work in this mission. We're not left to our own devices. We're doing it under his authority and in his power. We're doing it through the Holy Spirit at work in us, power from on high to be able to achieve the mission. And as we go out with this mission, we're bringing the forgiveness of sins to the world so that the nations might come back to God. The nations might be brought in so that humanity can be reunited with God. And that starts here. That starts here as God's people gather on that mission and as we go out into our communities on that mission, as we work in our families on that mission and as we come back again in a week's time to continue that missional work. Jesus came into the world to seek and save the lost. As a church, I hope and pray that we can continue on this mission and never go to the right or to the left, but continue on the mission that Christ has given us. Let me pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are reuniting the world to yourself through Jesus our Lord. We thank you that you are bringing the nations back, that they are streaming up to the mountain of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, that one day 
There will be a great multitude from every tribe, tongue, and nation around that, that throne worshipping you. And Lord, we thank you that you have given us a, a very noble, wonderful job to do in the here and now in helping see this mission unfold. Please, Lord, help us to take this mission seriously in the way that we serve our families and work in our families, in the way that we serve one another in our jobs, in our communities, as in the way that we work amongst the local body that is the church. Lord, please help us to not get sidetracked, knowing that there is a great many valuable things that you've called us to do, but we pray, Lord, that, that your mission would remain our central focus. We pray, Lord, that you would do this by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you have sent your Spirit to work in among your people to complete this task. We pray, Lord, that there would be many more disciples made here at Flooding Creek with more baptisms, with more people hearing about Jesus. We pray, Lord, that the forgiveness of sins might be proclaimed from here, all across Sale and across this region. We pray, Lord, for a first step of 10%, that 10% of the people of this town would call on your name and who would be called disciples of Jesus. But we pray, Lord, for more than that. We pray, Lord, that the whole world might come and bow the knee we thank you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.